to work for University Christian Fellowship. I'm also on the speaking team, so once in a while you see me showing up here, like on a day when Heidi and Jamie are not in town. And uh, I asked Jamie what, uh, what is the theme for today, and he said you can choose whatever you want, which is always cool. Always great. So we'll be diving a little bit into the book of John, which actually Jen's group, uh, the, the guys group, has been studying this uh, this semester. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, so, yeah, I hope you'll, you'll join me as we kind of explore a little bit of just chapter one. And we'll just dive in directly. Uh, in the first verse on, in John 1, it starts with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, it's a very famous first verse. And John, the author, alludes directly to Genesis, to the beginning. And if you look at chapter 1 in Genesis, we see that God is saying a lot of things. He says things, and things just appear. I wanted to say appear out of thin air, but he even creates that, right? <laughs> they appear out of nothing. And he does this 10 times. He says something, and it appears. He says... Let there be light, and there was light. And we, and we learned that too in Genesis, we are created in the image of God. And we know that words have power. We see when, Jesus, or when God in the beginning uses these words, there's power. Things exist out of nowhere, uh, and before they didn't. But we're created in the image of God, and our words have power too. Maybe not the power to create things out of nowhere, but they do matter, and we do influence the people around us with our words. We can potentially change lives by the words that we speak, for good or for bad. So today, I want to look at words that are spoken that can change lives for good. So we're going to dive into John, starting in verse 35 of the first chapter. We'll be on the screen as well, so John 1, 35. So John has already been, John the Baptist is always confusing, right? You have John the Gospel writer, and then you have John the Baptist, two different people. John the Baptist has been proclaiming, has says, repent to the people of Israel, and then he's been pointing out the coming of the Messiah. And uh, here the next day, so he's been proclaiming all these big things to big crowds. Now he's talking to a couple of his disciples. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. God, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the author John who writes this down, who paints a picture of you as eternal God, who was there in the beginning and brought your son here to save us. Lord, as we dive into this story of sharing the gospel, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, open our eyes, and yeah, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit to be part of this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, the scene here is John the Baptist at the Jordan River, which is on the edge of Israel's territory. I mean, at the time, it's part of the Roman Empire, but if you think of it as a country, it's kind of out there, away from the city, in the desert. He's proclaiming, like I said, repentance and the coming of the Messiah. He does it a little bit in a way that is... Um, can't quite think of the word, but he's, he's a little out there, right? He's wearing uh, clothes made out of camel hair. He's eating insects, locusts, wild honey. He's a little out there. But he's sharing in front of crowds that are coming from the cities about the Messiah's coming. And at a certain moment, Jesus actually walks there and he, he tells the crowd, look over there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we first see John sharing the gospel to a big crowd. But then we see the switch where we go to sharing the gospel between people, individual, individually. So the first thing we see is that John, the next day, is talking to two of his disciples. He again sees Jesus, and he points to him, right? See the little picture there on the side? There, over there. That's where Jesus is going. Now, the disciples at least have heard this now twice, so they're going to go. And they're going, and it feels a little awkward, this scene. Like, Instead of talking to Jesus, it just seems like they're just going to walk behind him and just kind of see what's going to happen. And then Jesus turns around, and it's hard to kind of figure out from the text how, what it exactly sounds like. But he says, what do you want? Or what do you want? I don't know. But it's a little like, okay, a little awkward. And then they, being Middle Eastern men from the first century, very indirect, they ask him, well, teacher, where are you staying? Right? Like not really asking what they really want to know. And, but Jesus says, well, come and see. Be part of my day. And he invites them into their day, and they hang out for a while. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how long, but it says by 4 p.m., Andrew had figured it out. This is the Messiah. He's convinced, right? He's just been hanging out with Jesus for a little bit. This is the Messiah. And he can't contain himself. He's not going to just keep this for himself. He's going to one of the relationships that's probably closest to him, his brother Simon. And he goes out there and he says, we have found the Messiah. And Peter, like Peter, and or at this moment he's still named Simon. Simon trusts Andrew and says, well, let's go look. And he gets to Jesus and Jesus changes his name to Peter. Then the next day we see Jesus out there again. And now he runs into Philip. Now again, text doesn't give us any context if Jesus knows Philip. I think they probably have met before. But all he says is, come follow me. And Philip jumps up. Spend some time with Jesus, and the same thing happens. Some, spending some time with Jesus somehow gets him to the place, this is the Messiah, the, the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. And he is going to share with his friend Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel is a little bit more of a skeptic, right? So he's like, okay, Nazareth, like you're saying, the Messiah has come from Nazareth. 
I, I find that very unlikely. And the interesting thing that Philip does here is he says the same words as Jesus does at the beginning. Okay, you don't have to believe me, right? Come and see. And he brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And Jesus then just shares a little tidbit about what he's not supposed to know. I saw you there even before Philip came. You were sitting there at that tree. And I saw you. And, and for Nathaniel, it's all I needed to know. And just spending that little bit of time with Jesus, he comes to the conclusion, this must be the Messiah. So the theme here is invitation. We see John inviting two of his disciples to follow Jesus. We see Andrew going to his brother Simon and saying, come to Jesus. I just found I have this thing that I can't contain inside of myself. You have to check it out too. And Philip does the same thing with Nathaniel. And when Nathaniel pushes back a little bit, he's like, come and see. It's all about invitation. And then we get to the word evangelism. It's one of those words, right? Many of us are like, evangelism, okay, I, I don't know what to do with that. We have many feelings towards that. I was actually just looking this up. Um, the word gospel is simply the Greek word uh, evangelion, which we have turned into a verb. Now, some of you are old enough that you remember that nobody talked about Googling. You went actually online and you searched something in a search engine, right? And Google might have been that one. And then somewhere around 2010, we started turning it into a verb. It became, we're going to Google something. We're Googling stuff. And I think the same thing here happened. Like, it's kind of taking the word gospel and say, gospeling. Let's go gospeling outside. It's like, that's not how we use that word, right? That, that's what happened to the word evangelism. And it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. At least, I, I might, maybe not all of us. Maybe some of us are, like, perfectly comfortable with that. It makes me, after... Well, like 13 years of ministry, sometimes still a little uncomfortable when I think about the word evangelism. Well, why is that? Part, I, for many years I was here on campus, we would have street evangelists come up to campus. Now, I'm sure some of them do a great job, but once in a while I would witness a lot of shouting, a lot of not so very nice things being said, kind of a harmful image of evangelism. Sometimes even like afterwards having to talk with students like about their experience of being yelled at, right? Is that really, that, well, I mean, those are kind of the things, some of the images that at least come up for me. Or maybe marketing. Nowadays, we, we can put evangelism behind all kinds of things, like I'm an Apple evangelist, right? You shouldn't just get an iPhone, but you should also get a Mac, and you should get this watch, and all these kind of things. So we use that, and it's kind of like this sleazy kind of way of trying to sell a product that I don't need, I don't want. So that's kind of want to push myself away from that as well. Maybe it's because you've been a part of certain groups where somebody kind of was very awkward and started talking about Jesus at the moment that was maybe the most appropriate way. Maybe Bible beating, like, oh no, like just feel like you're, you're hitting me over the head with the Bible. Anyway, there's a lot of those kind of concepts that keep us from wanting to engage with evangelism. I want to acknowledge there might be people here in this room right now who've had negative experiences with evangelism. Right? That's possible. And I'm sorry if that has happened. At the same time, the Bible tells us that sharing our faith is natural and we're called to do it. And I have a friend and a colleague who does a lot of evangelism in, in, in the varsity. And he has a, uh, I, I didn't make a slide for this, but he has like a dimension on which most people fit. And he says it goes from timid to pushy. Now, pushy people who share their faith all the time in every context, we kind of, we, we quickly figure out, like, okay, this is becoming a little uncomfortable. Every time I see you, you want to talk about Jesus, right? That's, that's pushy. 
On the other side, we have timid, where it's like, I'm not even going to start sharing my faith because I'm afraid this might damage my relationship, it might be awkward, all this kind of stuff. He says, 3% of us are pushy. <laughs> the other 97% of us are all the way on the other side of the spectrum, and we are timid, and we actually tend to not share when we probably should. <laughs> so if you're one of the 3%, this sermon isn't really for you. Well, you can stay. I'd love to have you here anyway. But if you're part of the 97%, like I am, I think I'm part of the 97%. I'm full-time ministry. And I do within a ministry context, I share the gospel. And it's pretty, pretty easy because we set up structures to do so. But then when I look at my real, like my real life, my life outside of work, right, and I look at how I interact with my neighbors and with others, I find it difficult to share my faith. Most of us are in that 97%. But I think we all evangelize about what we're passionate about. Do you know, for example, starting June 9th, five total days, eight performances in the Kenworthy. It's going to be Oliver Twist. I've seen my, my wife is in it, my daughter Deborah, my son Jonas. They're practicing in the backyard, which is a lot of fun. I've seen that happen. I know APOT, the, the community theater, has a great cast. You should come. It's going to be so much fun. If you want to have a fun night, you have five different days to choose from. It's not very difficult for me to share, right? It's easy because I'm excited about it. And even if you're going to say no, I'm like, oh, that's okay. You miss out on a nice opportunity. It's okay. You don't have to go. So it's interesting that that doesn't cause me any trouble. But there is a difference between sharing about a community theater and the gospel. If I share about community theater, I believe truly you're going to have a great night. It's going to be fun. It's probably not going to change your life. Maybe if you're single and you're sitting next to that special someone, maybe it will change your life. But probably not, and definitely not going to say that's going to happen. But the gospel, I mean, literally means good news. I believe it to be the best news for everyone, everywhere. So why is it so difficult to share? So what I want to take some time with today is talking about barriers to sharing. Now those are the barriers I came up with. They're not exhaustive. You might have particular barriers to your context that I will not be talking about. Uh, but these are just some of the barriers that come up and hopefully you can relate to some of them and, and we can think about them. And then towards the end we'll talk a little bit about um, how to share as well. So the first barrier, I think it doesn't always feel authentic. It feels a little scripted. It feels a little clunky. How do I turn a conversation that I'm having with a friend towards Jesus? Oh, how's the weather? It's pretty nice, isn't it? Like, oh, see that cloud over there? That reminds me of the ascension of Jesus. You want to talk about Jesus? It feels clunky. feels scripted. Now, I have friends who do this, right? They're in the middle of a conversation, and they just start talking about Jesus, and it feels really natural. Again, that's not the case for me. So what is the problem here? I actually think... The problem is a little bigger here. It's a cultural problem. We in the West, Europe, US, we compartmentalize our faith. We have living our regular lives over here, and then we have our faith life, our church engagement over here, and the two might overlap a little bit like a Venn diagram, but big parts of it just simply don't. Now, most of history, and still many other places in the world today, there is not that division. Religion and secular, Faith and secular, they're, they're just the same thing. 
And so the bigger question behind this really is, and we're not going to dive too deep into this, but how can my faith be part of everything I do? The problem isn't necessarily just sharing my faith. It is that not every part of my life I'm engaging with God. So that's one barrier. It doesn't feel authentic. The other side of that is maybe it feels too personal. Again, in the West, in the U.S., faith is seen as something personal. Now, I've worked with international students for a long time. International students from the Middle East, for example, don't have that. They'll just start asking you, what do you believe? And they just want to know, and they're interested in that. Um, but in the U.S., in my experience, it's not that you can't go up to somebody who's never heard about Jesus and you don't know them and you can't share the gospel with them. You can. Sometimes within university we set up tables on campus and we have like a, a question that's a, it's a little interesting and people come up and we share the gospel and we do that and it, it works. But I think a lot of the time the more effective way is we need to build trusting relationships. When our students go abroad, um, we, we, we ask the question, who do you already know? Who is already in your network? Like you're seeing um, Andrew invite Simon and Philip invite Nathaniel. They already know each other, right? And they're bringing this good news in the relationships that they already have. And so when our students go abroad after a month, they've made relationships. And we say, well, who do you already know? Who can you already pray for? Who can you go and invite for dinner and just have a fun time with? Relational evangelism means real, long-term, authentic investment in relationships. And it's not just like a, a switch and bait, like, oh, I'm going to be your friend, and if, 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 if you don't want to hear about Jesus, I'm going to move on. You're really investing in these relationships, but also with the hope of bringing your authentic self to it. And if you do, they're very soon going to figure out that you're a Christian. Now, another barrier. Who am I to push my agenda? I think it's a big one. It's about truth. And the question about truth has been going on for many thousands of years. If you look, I think this is also John, I might be wrong, but towards the end, Jesus is standing in front of Pilate. And he says, Jesus says to Pilate, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Huh? Like, this is a big question. I don't know what truth is. Christians believe truth is found in Jesus. The world says truth is found inside of yourself. Just look deep enough and you'll find the truth. So Christians believe in this immutable truth. It's always true for everyone, ev everywhere. And the world believes in this personal truth. It changes based on the person, the context, the time of day. And so you get these phrases like, this is my truth, and this is your truth. And a lot of Christians are using those phrases nowadays as well. Well, I believe in Jesus, but if you believe something else, that's okay. I just want to point out that doesn't work. If you believe in Jesus, then you believe that he's the truth, and it's not compatible with saying, well, I have my own personal truth, and that's okay as well. They both can't be true. If everyone has their own truth, then pushing my own version of the truth is wrong. However, if only one truth is there, and that truth is in Jesus, and the consequence is everlasting life with, without Jesus, without God, then not sharing it would be unloving and unkind. Next, barrier. 
I think this one is a big one for me. The fear of breaking relationships. Can evangelism break relationships, even when it's done well? Yes, I think it can. We see that again in John 6:67, chapter 6, verse 67. Jesus is teaching a teaching that the people, the people that are following him find too hard. They literally say that. This teaching is too hard, and they start leaving. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, the 12, and he's like, are you going to leave too? And they don't. But you feel kind of the sadness in Jesus' voice about people leaving because of what he's sharing. So even when evangelism is done well, people can break relationships. It's possible. However, I think that if we ask permission to share, uh, uh, it's not pushy. A good relationship will not be damaged by me asking somebody, can I share my faith? Even if they say no. If you have invested in that relationship, you're still going to be okay. And you have given it an opportunity to, to give people an opportunity to respond to it. However, not sharing, I think you might miss an opportunity. There is a podcast I really enjoy listening to. It's called Love Thy Neighborhood. And uh, they have a lot of different themes about all kinds of things that go on in our world. And one of them, uh, not too long ago, was about evangelism. And they interview a person who's telling a story. So this is like second-hand, third-hand story. But I like the story, so I wanted to share it. It's about a missionary who goes to Europe to an undisclosed country. He spent several years there, and he makes a friend. And they really generally like each other, and they start getting coffee every week. And as that kind of grows, they start doing things outside of coffee, getting together with their families and hanging out. And they do this for about two years. And then this missionary finds out he needs to move to Germany. And he's like, but I, I, I want to tell the gospel story. So he's like, I, I need to hang out with you one more time because there's something so important. I want to share it with you. And so he goes on to tell the gospel to his friend. And his friend then says, if this is so important to you, why did it take you two years to tell me? This comes back down to authenticity. If all of us is part in following Jesus, all of our life is, he would have had this conversation much earlier. <laughs> Now, fortunately, this missionary has learned from that, right? And he says, like, if you make a good connection, within a few weeks, people should be able to figure out you're Christian. And maybe a few weeks later, you should ask, like, hey, what do you believe? What, you want to know what I believe? Those should be kind of authentic, automatic things that happen within relationships because it's part of all of who we are. I want to take a, a second and also mention, very importantly, the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we're in a Pentecostal church, and so we, we do focus on the Holy Spirit often. But as I have talked with people, specifically about evangelism, people are very excited about it. Um, I've noticed that there tends to be a little bit of a focus um, on doing things versus relying on the Holy Spirit. If you look at Acts 1.8, it's just before Jesus goes up into heaven, and he tells his disciples you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, near in Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. The part that we often skip over, this is actually Acts 1.8b. A, where it starts, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And if you read the whole book of Acts, nothing happens without the Holy Spirit doing something first. So we tell our students, when students go abroad, wherever you're going, God is already there. God is already working. And all you're doing is simply tagging along to the work that God is already doing. I can't overstate the importance of healthy spiritual rhythms, time in prayer, time in the word, time in community, praying for those around you that you hope will come to know Christ, and for guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is a big one for me. It's like I pray for opportunities to share because I often just walk straight past the opportunity and then look back as like, I think that was an opportunity, but I'm now already like three steps too far. Ask, not just ask for the opportunity, but ask to be aware of it when they come. So my last barrier then is not knowing what to say. You might have been a Christian for a very long time and you're hanging out with a friend, he finds out you're a Christian, it's like, well, what do you actually believe? Suddenly your palms get a little sweaty. Like, um, how do I start here? Um, what, what, what did my pastor in Sunday school say again? And it just kind of, you stumble through, and, and you figure out a way to kind of tell what you think is most important, and God can use that, right? So it's okay. If you stumble through it, it's okay. You did, did a great job. You're trying to answer the question. But it does make me wonder, why is that? Because in my experience, people that have, like, young Christians, people just come to follow Jesus, they don't have that problem. And they don't get most of the theology right. Like they, they barely know about most of the theology, but they go to their friend and share about it. I mean, just like Andrew, I don't know how much Andrew knew, but he knew enough to tell his brother. And so I think on one hand, we shouldn't be too scared to share and to get it all right. I actually think it's the start of a conversation. Just like Andrew invited his brother Simon, now he's going to walk with Jesus for three years, right? There is this, it, it's a start of an invitation. Sometimes we feel like we need to share the gospel and say, are you ready to follow Jesus? Some cases that might be the right thing to ask. A lot of the time is it, it, the question to ask might be, would you like to continue to explore who this Jesus is? Let's get back together again, right? It's an invitation just into deeper relationship. But what I want to do, just for a second, just for those of you who are like, I really don't quite know how I would be sharing the gospel in two or three minutes, right? This is one way to share the gospel. It's not the perfect way. I'm sure I'm missing out on some parts. It's just to kind of like, okay, this is one way that I could share the gospel. There are four components up here. The first one is all of creation is designed for, God, for good. It's Genesis 1. God created, and he created for good. Two, we and the world were damaged by evil. Chapter 3 of Genesis. And then we fast forward through most of the Bible to the New Testament. Jesus came to restore the world and everything in it to what God intended. And then we go forward a little further and pretty much acts all the way to today. And now Jesus invites us to join him and his community to heal the world. It's one way of doing it. You might have learned something different, which is fine. So if I would do this in my own words, it would sound something like this. God created everything, and it was beautiful, and it was perfect. We were in perfect relationship with God, in a loving relationship with God, with each other, and with all of creation. But all of that got broken. We chose we wanted to be our own 
God. We wanted to be in control of our own destiny. And we can see that brokenness everywhere. We can we turn on the news. There's conflicts, there's wars. We look at our families and our friends and the people around us, and it's not that hard to see brokenness. Brokenness, people not knowing God, right, in that relationship. Brokenness in the way that we deal with creation. God could have said, forget about this and distance himself from all of this. But he did the opposite. He got even closer and he became human. He lived and walked among us. He showed us what it means to truly be human. And through a mystery that I don't fully understand, he died, he rose, so that we can be in right relationship with God and with the hope of everything being restored, all those relationships. And now we are invited to join God. He has chosen us to participate in his healing work, to share his story with others, to do justice, to live like Jesus did. And then your question might be, are you interested to hear more? Right? Want get, to get some coffee next week and talk more about this? So I want to end here with an invitation, a little, a little different than normal. If you've ever gone, somehow I had to think of a Thai restaurant. If you go to a Thai restaurant and you look at the, at the menu, there might be one where there's a little spicy level in front of it, right? And you got, you got three spicy levels, but you really got four, I found out. Like, so you got mild, medium, and hot, and then you got Thai spicy. And if you look like this, white, Thai spicy, that's not okay. So I didn't do Thai spicy for you, right? These, these are, none of these are super hard, but they're different levels of spicy. So my invitation for you this week or maybe the next couple of weeks if you want to go for the mild version of the dish. Practice your answer to the question, what do you believe? Or maybe, why do you believe? Which is a different answer. What do you believe has more to do about what the Bible says. Well, why do you believe is your own testimony of how you got to know Jesus and how you're following him. And which might actually be more a more appealing story to people. Well, maybe take some time this week, whenever you have some time off just to practice it. Maybe when you're in the shower, right, and nobody can hear you, you can practice. The second one, little spicy level, goes up a little bit. Ask someone to share what they believe. Maybe you have no idea what they believe. And it's great to listen and to learn why people believe what they believe. And they might then ask the question, what do you believe, right? So then hopefully you have question one ready. And the last one, the, high, like the, the, the hot spicy level for today, is ask someone permission to share what you believe. And again, I think if you have a good relationship and somebody says no, it's fine. That's not going to damage the relationship. The scarier part might be they might say yes. And then you have to go and like, oh, I now need to share this, right? But I think it's a good thing. And I think like I shared this story about this guy in Europe. There's a lot of people who long to hear these stories because it truly is good news. And uh, we so want people to know it. So I do want to ask Julie if you want to come up and we'll do as the absolute last thing the doxology. But I also want to send you out with um, a, a verse from Isaiah 52 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns.